Well, I'm glad that I was able to hear those guys share. I just wish they had left out some of the parts of what they had shared. There is a phrase that the rest of that team needs to learn, and that is what happens in Peru stays in Peru. And uh, they have evidently not learned that phrase, but I'm hoping that they will soon uh, uh, soon learn that. Uh, Frank, you're, you're laughing back there. You, you, you listen up, buddy. Uh, it was a it was a it was a neat trip, and it was really uh, really amazing to be a part of that and see God work in some uh, in some powerful ways. And uh, what, I, I have to share one funny story before I jump in the sermon. I know we're running behind, and I preached through the whole Bible in like forty five minutes there in Peru, so I'll cut mine down shorter, so you won't be here forever, I promise. Uh, but there was this this little guy named Carlos. Who uh, who was staying in the same hotel as us, and and he he was kind of an odd bird. Uh, he would he couldn't speak really any Spanish, and he could speak a little Japanese, and so uh, so it's kind of like you you couldn't communicate with him no matter what. And in the little hotel there, there's one of the bathrooms that the lock doesn't exactly work right on, and uh, so this lock you know, if you push it all the way and it closes. It, you have to really jiggle and work and, and fiddle with the handle in order to be able to get back out. You know, there's some people that were stuck and screaming to get out, you know, that kind of situation. Uh, well, I, you know, I knew if I figured it out just right that I could get out. But until midway through the week, it just totally broke altogether. So if it got closed, you're just out of luck. And so I, you know, I'm trying to prop the door so it's bare, so it looks like it's closed, but it's not all the way closed, but you know, I push it a little too hard, and it closes all the way, it's, oh, okay, all right, I'm going to be stuck in here, so I, you know, I, I brush my teeth or whatever, and then uh, I hear somebody coming down the hall, so I holler out in Spanish from the open the door, and so I can communicate a little bit in Spanish, I can get by, well, it's Carlos, and it's just a little short, you know, Japanese, Peruvian, you know, something, doesn't really speak anything that I know, uh, and he's out there, and he jumps into the bathroom and wants to show me how you can really open, uh, open the door when it's closed. And so he closes the door. And so slow motion, I'm like leaping toward the door. No! Trying to grab it. Well, he closes the door, and little Carlos is like... <laughs> and, and I'm like... I am stuck in the bathroom with this Peruvian Japanese guy who doesn't speak Spanish. And so I can't communicate with him. I'm just like, Carlos, buddy, I know it doesn't work. And so, so I have to wait for one of the translators to come down the hall to open up the door for me while I'm stuck in the bathroom with Carlos. And so if you come to Peru, you might have some interesting experiences like that too. Uh, <coughs> It is. Uh, it, it was a good trip, and it was very interesting experiences. Uh, I want. I want us to just briefly uh, turn to the Word. But before before we do, I want us to just go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come before you, and we are grateful for the opportunity that we have had to be able to hear about the work that you're doing in Peru. Pray, Lord, that you will continue to do that work uh, to show yourself. Uh, to the people there, that you will, for your great renown, for your glory, for your name's sake, raise up people there who know you and who call out to you and worship you alone. God, use us in that endeavor as we seek to do that. Lord, we love you and praise you and ask your blessing on our times we study your word now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to, uh, I want to start out tonight uh, just, just with a question, and just for a question for us to think about. And, and this is the question. 
is it possible for us as believers to do a lot of good things but never really do what Christ has commanded? Is it possible for us to do a lot of really good things but never really do what Christ has commanded? We have a lot of good things uh, that we do. And, and, and these things aren't bad at all. And they're, they're good things. It's like, like we do Sunday school. And that's a good thing. But nowhere in the New Testament we do, do we see Sunday school commanded. That Jesus, nowhere said Jesus said, Thou shalt have Sunday school at 9 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. You know, you don't see that anywhere. We, we do a lot of good things like, uh, like build church buildings. But we don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus says, you need to build a church building. You know, we do good things like, uh, uh, like start seminaries and, and have conventions and, and things like that and have, have potluck dinners, you know, things that are good and, and things that, I, that I'm appreciative of. But we never see anywhere in Scripture that says, you have to do this. And so my question I want to ask is, is it possible for us to become more focused or so focused on doing good things that Jesus never really commanded that we don't do what Jesus actually did command? Is it possible to do so many different good things as a Christian that we miss out on doing what Jesus actually does command? And what I'm talking about is just Jesus' command to make disciples. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 28, uh, starting in verse 16. This is a passage that you all know, and it's the great, uh, what we call the Great Commission is. And I want to just read this, and I want us just to, to talk about it briefly and think about it for just a few minutes. Matthew 28, uh, starting at verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is, this is a passage we know. We've, we've heard countless uh, different times. And what we have commanded here, I, I, want, us to, I want us to notice that Almost as important as what is commanded here is what's not mentioned. This is the last command that we have from Jesus. It's really the only command that we have given after Jesus' resurrection. But I want you to notice the things that he doesn't mention. Jesus doesn't go back through some of his teachings. He, he doesn't go through and say, now I want you to love one another. He doesn't go through and reiterate his teaching on fasting. He doesn't go through and talk about the importance of giving. He doesn't, he doesn't go through all these different things that he could have. It doesn't mean these things aren't important to the Christian life, but it means that Jesus was placing a priority that this is the duty of a believer. Go and make disciples of all nations. You know, we, we talk a lot about and think a lot about in our day and age as Christians, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do with my life? And in summary, this if you look at your life, this is in summary what God's will is for your life. You want to know what God wants from you? This is it right here. Glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That's it. 
That's your purpose in life. Why do you have breath right now? Why are you breathing? Why is your heart pumping? God has placed you here, created you for this purpose, glorifying God by making disciples of all nations. That is his will for your life. But somehow, somehow we've, we've maybe overlooked that. Or, or maybe changed a little bit about what Jesus was actually trying uh, to get across. We, I, I think that in, in America today, in the church in America today, we've, we've almost perverted the Great Commission in some sense. Because instead of making disciple-making about an idea of go and tell, we've almost made an idea of come and see. And what we've done is we've set up church growth and, and how we grow the church almost is something like, like a formula. If you can just have a great dynamic speaker, then crowds will come. If you can have a great praise band, then you can draw the crowds in. And if you can set up like a really nice building that will attract people, then that will bring in the crowds. Or if you can have great children's programs and youth programs, if you can do that, if you can have these great programs, then that's what's going to bring in the crowds. And we see uh, Todd and Pastor Bill and Ricky and I, we see this every day coming across our desk, these flyers and promotionals, that if you will just do X, then the church will grow. If you'll follow this formula, you'll see people coming to your church and the church uh, will be growing. But here, here's the problem. Jesus never says anything about that. Jesus never says, if you will build this nice building, your church will grow. Jesus never says that if you can just have a good speaker, you can draw the crowds in. If you can just have the best instrumentalists and singers that do a great job and can stand up here and worship and, and lead everybody, in, if you can just do that, then you'll have your church grow. Jesus never says anything like that. He doesn't say anything about if we can have the, the best, most attractive programs that will bring the people in and, and teach them and their kids will be taken care of. Jesus never does say anything about that. Jesus only gives one simple command when it, comes to, when it comes to the growth of the church and what our command is. And it's this right here. Go and make disciples. That's the plan. That's the strategy that Jesus gives us for the growth of the church. That's God's will for our life. And, and somehow, and I, I, don't know, I don't know how this happened. Somehow we've taken this in America, this idea of us going out and taking someone and discipling them, and that's kind of fallen to the wayside. And rather, what we've emphasized in the church in America, at least for the past 50 years or so, is more of a, a come and see mentality. That if we want the lost to come to know Jesus, we invite them to some big program. If we want unbelievers to, to come to know Christ, then we need to have them come to a church building. And if we're going to see the growth of the church, it has to be revolving around some event that we have in, in a building that we call the church sometimes. And so we, we talk more about inviting someone to church or inviting a lost person to come to, to this particular event. But nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament do we see anything like that where, where we're commanded to go and invite somebody to the church. What do we see instead? We see this command by Jesus. Instead, go make disciples of all the nations. So listen to this again. Listen just to the words of Jesus, what he says. 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if I ask somebody, what does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to make disciples? We would probably get a lot of different answers. You know, one person might say this, one person might say that. You know, disciple-making means this, disciple-making means going to these classes. Making disciples means inviting somebody to church. Or, or all, We might have a whole lot of different answers. But because the truth is, for a lot of us, probably a lot of us have never really been discipled. Where somebody has walked beside us in the way that we're getting ready to talk about and say, this is how you follow Christ. And so let's jump into this text. I want to see just briefly what this says. And I know this is stuff that you've heard a lot before. But I just want you to listen, and perhaps listen with some new ears about what Jesus is saying here. He commands them to go and make disciples. In the original Greek, this is really just one command. There's one command that's in this sense, and then it's surrounded by a bunch of other different statements. That one command is to make disciples. And everything that surrounds it goes along with how we do that. So one command, make disciples. Now, when we're thinking about this, a lot of times it can be easy for us to think about all these different strategies, different things we've heard about how we make disciples, uh, class or whatever. You know, if you think about in a Baptist church, uh, discipleship, a lot of times you think about an evening class that starts right before the evening worship service. That's, you know, the disciple-making hour, you know? That's what a lot of us have traditionally grown up with. Now, when Jesus was telling this to the disciples, and he said, go and make disciples of all nations, we need to think about what would those disciples have thought of? What would it have been that had run through their mind? And so we need to think about that for just a minute. What would they have thought of? All right, let's, let's review. What was the, the command that Jesus gave? Make disciples. All right, good. This is the interactive portion. You are allowed to talk now. So the command was to go and make disciples. That's what the command is, make disciples. Now, what are these 12 men called who follow Jesus? Disciples. All right. So we have the command, make disciples, and Jesus' followers were called disciples. So do you think that maybe Jesus spent his ministry doing what he commanded the disciples to do? Jesus spent three years making disciples. And so then, at the end of those three years, when Jesus is resurrected and he's getting ready to go to heaven, he gives them the same command. You know what I've been doing in your life? You go now and do in other people's lives. You go and make disciples. And so when these disciples heard Jesus say, go make disciples, they would have thought of exactly what Jesus had done in their lives. So I want you to think just, just for a minute about what did Jesus do in their lives. We know that Jesus called them. He called these men to follow him. But what we don't see happening is we don't see Jesus saying, all right, now that I've called you, we're having systematic theology 101 at 5 o'clock. And we'll have personal evangelism on Tuesday evenings. And then you'll hear about ecclesiology, the organization of the church, Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. Be there, because I'm commanding you. We, we don't see that. What do we see Jesus doing? We see him just walking. Walking beside those men for three 
full years. He walks with him. He teaches him. He shows him the miracles that he does. He says, all right, now I'm going to teach you from the word. And not only does he teach them from the word, but he shows them how to understand the word. It comes to the time of prayer. He doesn't just teach them to pray. He says, all right, this is now how you pray. He takes them, walks beside them, and says, all right, now it's time for you to do ministry. Go do it. He doesn't just say you need to go do ministry. He says, all right, this is how you do ministry. This is how you pray. This is how you cast out the demons. This is how you go into the towns and carry out the ministry in each of those towns. This is how you do that. And so we see three full years, Jesus walking beside these men and showing them this is what it means to follow me. This is how you follow me. And so whenever Jesus is giving this command to them to go and make disciples, this is the picture that they would have gotten in their heads that we need to go do the same thing in other people's lives. Now, unfortunately, we have kind of forgotten uh, about that kind of picture of discipleship. We, we're in a society that wants things done fast. We've got fast food. And so we expect when we order in just a few minutes, we can have our fries and we can be on down the road. And we've got bulk production. Companies can produce millions of pieces of, of goods in, in, in a year. And they can just do this over and over and over and over again. And we sometimes want to incorporate that into the church and say we can bulk produce disciples really quickly. But that's not the picture that we get from Jesus. How many people were following Jesus when he, when he ascended? They had 12 disciples, and then there's a total of 120. 120 people. Now, by, by most standards today, that'd be considered a failure. You know, you, you, you devote your whole life to doing something, and you only can count for 120 people following you. I mean, in church growth methodology, if you only have 120 people, you're not going to be getting on the list of the biggest and best churches and getting your name out there, you know? But do you think that Jesus messed up in any way? No, of course not. Do you think maybe Jesus knew what he was doing when he was going about his ministry strategy? You know, he, he didn't neglect the crowds. He, he preached to them. But when the crowds started following him, he he pulled away, and he, he focused on those 12 men. And what do we see happening with those 12 men? One fell away, but then they went out, and those other believers who were there, and they went out and they replicated exactly what Jesus had done in their lives, to go out and make disciples. That's the command that's been given to us is for us to go out and do that same thing now when, whenever we hear the great commission a lot of times our thoughts immediately go to, to foreign missions you know you think about great commissions like oh Peru you think about the great commissions oh Africa and you, you immediately think of, of, of sending the gospel to all the nations and that is exactly correct but the picture of what Jesus is saying here making disciples isn't just the nations. And it isn't just one place. It's, it's a picture that goes across all boundaries. You know, the way we make disciples here is really similar to what we're trying to do in Peru. 
we pour our lives into people and just show them this, this is how you walk with Jesus. And, and that's what we're trying to do in Peru. Walk with them as much time as we can and say, this, this is how you open up the word. This is the questions that you ask about it. This is how you pray. This is, this is what it means to worship. This is how you do that. Here, here's how you struggle with sin. Here's how you, how you overcome that. Here's how you walk with this in your family. We're trying, trying to do this as much as possible, just pouring ourselves into the lives of people. So this, this is the picture of what it means to make disciples. I want you to catch this. It's a believer coming beside someone, sharing the gospel with that person, that person coming to know Christ, and then walking beside that person for maybe months, probably years, walking with them and saying, this is what it means to know Christ. This is what it means to follow him. This is how you struggle in being a mom or a dad in a, in a godly way. This is how you open the Bible and read it. It's that kind of picture of standing beside, walking beside, and showing and saying, this is how you do it. That's what it means to make disciples. It's, it's not a class that we put somebody in. Class is going to be important, can be a part of that. But it's the picture of individual believers going and doing that. Now, here, here's where the rubber meets the road. And I, I think that it's important for us to ask ourselves just blunt, honest questions sometimes. Because I think that we can easily deceive ourselves. We, we can think of ourselves better than we should sometimes. And, and I, I want us just to honestly ask ourselves this question. Have I ever walked with somebody through this process and made a disciple. Have I done that? Have I taken somebody, stood beside them for week in and week out and said, this is how you follow Christ? You know, I think it's possible to be a believer and to go to, to church every time the doors are open for 30, 40 years, have never truly made a disciple. I think it's possible to be a pastor for 30, 40 years, day in and day out, and really never have made a disciple. So I think we, we need to ask ourselves this question. Without any excuses, without any sugarcoating, look at our lives and ask ourselves this question. Have I made a disciple? Or have I been doing a lot of good stuff and really been distracted from making a disciple? Sometimes it's hard to ask those questions because it makes us look at the, at the man or woman in the mirror and we have to look close and sometimes we don't like what we see. But ask that question. What I want to do is I'm going to take the next two Sunday evenings and I, I want to just sit down with anybody who is interested in learning more about what it means to make disciples and about what it looks like to do that. I, I want to just sit down. We're going to, we're going to meet here at 5 o'clock next Sunday evening and then the next Sunday evening, 22nd and 29th. Anybody who wants to, 
And we're going to just talk about what does it look like for you to be in somebody's life discipling them? What does it look like to walk beside somebody and say, here's how you study the word? How do you do that with, with somebody who is younger than you? You heard Todd talk this morning about how we are, uh, the one generation is passed on the truth of God to another generation. How do we do that? And I'm going to walk through just how, how that looks. I had somebody, I was very fortunate to have somebody who actually did that in my life. Took years and discipled me. And took me out to eat. And went running with me. And played games with me. All these different things. So that I would be made a disciple. And it cost him many hours and a lot of money uh, to do that with this you know, silly little teenager uh, that he was trying to disciple. What's it going to look like for you to do that in your life? With your kids, with somebody at work, with fill in the blank. This is the command that's given to all of us, to go to invest in somebody's life in that kind of way. And when that happens, when a church does that, that's some pretty cool things. What would happen? What would happen if we radically obeyed that command? And every one of us took somebody under our wings, all of us in here who are, who are mature believers, and said, I'm going to do this. And we spend a year doing that. And we train that person, or two years, whatever. And then those people go out and do the exact same thing. What would happen if all God's people throughout this land did that? Man, this, this would be a different place if we did that. We have that coming up these next two Sundays, 5 o'clock. If you want to be a part of that, just come talk to me uh, after the service. Um, and we'll talk about that. Um, I pray that you all have a wonderful week and that Lord blesses you as you go and as you think about discipling your kids, discipling your family, and all the things that, that we have talked about this week and possibly uh, going to Peru uh, in, in November uh, or one of the upcoming trips. Uh, you're dismissed. God bless you. Don't forget, if, you're, if you are a parent of somebody in the uh, nursery or toddler room, we're going to chat over here uh, for a few minutes right after service, but God bless you. Have a great week.